Welcome to Demand and Disrupt the Disability Podcast. Here, we will learn to advocate for ourselves and each other. This podcast is supported with funds from the Advocado Press based in Louisville, Kentucky. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Demand and Disrupt a Disability Podcast. You're in for a treat today. I am here with Lisa. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Kimberly. How are you this morning? I'm doing great. So everyone gets both of us. How are things going for you this August? Oh my goodness. August is such a crazy time of the year with back to school and all the things. So, you know, we're getting in, we're getting into the rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. So have you got the, um, the August crud, the germs that the kids bring home? You know, my, both of the kids have, but I somehow managed to avoid it. I don't know how, but I have. I got it. My, both kids and I have gotten it. And then guess what else we got? What? Because there's not enough sani- insanity already in my life. We got a puppy. Oh. <laughs> well, her? Uh, her name is Phoebe. Um, sometimes we call her other things, <laughs> but she is adorable. She is, we got her from the shelter. Um, she is a pug mix. I say she's more mixed than pug. She's, uh, she's kind of adorable and poorly behaved right now, but you know, we're working on it. So, um, yeah. Do you have pets at your house? I do. We have two cats and a dog. Um, Frankie, Kittums, and Dixie. Wow. The cats that everybody needs cats because they just, I don't know, they're entertainment and frustration, but there's yeah, your dog. that was, uh-huh. mm-hmm. sorry about that, y'all, but that's <laughs> welcome to my life inside yes. the life of a disabled person. It's just like, just like your life, right? Just like everyone else's life. It's just, it there's things. And, and yeah. Speaking of, like yesterday, I was trying to have coffee and I hear this. I'm like, what in the world? It sounded like the cat was dying and it was coming from the back. So I ran to the back. I followed the sound. It was in the bathroom. And my first thought was this cat has climbed the shower curtain and has hung itself somehow on the bar. And I've got to get to this cat before it gets tangled up and, you know. So I, I literally reach up there. There's no cat. Then I realize it's coming from underneath the bathtub because we have one of those jacuzzi tubs in the bathroom with, and the control panel had the, the access panel had come off. So the cat was, was under the tub and it, it couldn't get out because somehow, and this, this part, I don't understand. There was a salad bowl in the bathroom and it had wiggled somehow its way under the tub and was blocking the cat's entrance so i got the salad bowl out and the cat came out and it was all all fine after that but i i still don't know why there was a salad bowl in the bathroom so your pets are obviously better behaved than mine well i don't know i i I believe the cat might be peeing in the air conditioner vent I, i don't know i there's a smell in our room and i it only comes on when the air conditioner comes on and it's not in any other place in the house. And it smells like a baby diaper that's being cooked. 
like when they pee in their diaper. So I have tried everything. I took off the vent. I sprayed orange Febreze and then it just smelled like somebody peed on an orange. So if anybody knows how I might get that smell out. That's, that's excellent. Yeah. If anybody knows about that, because Lisa, I don't know. I don't think that's a blind problem. I, I think that you're not having blind problems. No, I don't. I don't think it's a blind problem. It's like, I don't know why my cats want to climb under bathtubs and pee in the air conditioner vent. But So yeah, anybody got any tips on Lisa's many woes or how to train a dog to, we'll do anything really, anything at all, you know, go ahead and, uh, and, and send us in those, those tips to demand and disrupt email.com. And you could put in the subject line, I don't know, just y'all be crazy. That's what you could put in the subject line. <laughs> Pet problems. I don't know. Something. Pet problems. There you go. So, but speaking of problems and, and solving it, Walmart, believe it or not, Walmart is looking to solve some of our problems. Have you heard about this? They have a new line of disability things. Um, let's see. What does it say? It says. I think they have some um, weighted utensils. Yeah, and it's just a, to, to uh, better serve better serve their disabled pop, uh, population. It says range of clothing to oh, assistive technology. Yeah, so um, it says it's an adapt. They they've reintroduced an adaptive channel on their website. I, I guess these are things you can only get through their website, like not in store. But, uh, I mean, still, that's pretty cool. Um, I think it's really neat that they're, you know, trying to be inclusive in that way. I, I think, I, yeah, I was reading about it yesterday. And one thing they have in their line of products is a backpack that is designed to slide over the handles of a wheelchair. And, you know, I thought, man, that would would have never occurred to me as something necessary. But I guess it is. I'm sure it is. And I get uh, people who are in wheelchairs. I bet know that. And, you know, isn't it nice that they can maybe just get on Walmart and get, get the stuff they need. We need all of us think for a, a cheaper price, maybe. And man, if that's got like a two day shipping or something, that would be great. Wouldn't it? Oh, yes. Uh, I love it. If maybe they get like uh cane tips for the blind, you know, I don't think they have those right now, but if that could be something they get, that, that would just be awesome. And, um, you know, reading the story, it says other re retailers have gotten into this thing too. It says you can get uh, stuff from Kohl's, Target, CVS, um, hearing aids now. Hearing aids can be bought over, over the counter at some of these stores. So, you know, hopefully it will be a movement and they'll be leading the way and more companies will join suit because... We need more. That would be great. Products. Yeah, that would be great. It'd be great to be able to go into a, a Walmart when you're doing your back to school shopping and know that all the other kids getting their backpacks are seeing a backpack for a person with a wheelchair. And it, you know, would normalize that when they get to school and see someone in, in a wheelchair. It would uh, normalize that. I think it's great. Don't you? Absolutely. So, Lisa, how do you feel about traveling? Do you, are you a traveler? I wish... I could love traveling. It's just not my favorite thing. And I don't know if it's because 
wherever you go, there you are. I mean, the scenery doesn't really change for us much. So, <laughs> you know, maybe that's it. But then I know of blind people who love to travel. So maybe I'm missing something. What about you? Hate it. Absolutely hate it. Absolutely hate it. I like, I like my own bed. I like I like my shower to be set up exactly the way I have set it up. So I know what's what and yep. Not, not a fan of traveling. Don't like to go much further than the mailbox. Oh, quite a homebody. So I yeah. One of the things for travel that I'm not a fan of is I just, I feel out of my element, you know, in the house. I'm, I, I'm the queen of the house, but when you put me in a, <laughs> you know airbnb somewhere it's like okay where's the stove where's the bathroom and it's someone constantly having to show me the things and i just i don't know i start to feel like i'm just ready to get home let's put it that way yeah yeah friend of mine i went went on vacation earlier and a friend of mine was like oh i'm so sorry she described um she described vacationing as parenting but with less convenience more expense and with sand up your butt so yeah. <laughs> it's true except you yep. know we don't, we don't um we typically do the whole mountains thing we we, we don't go to the beach so oh, I don't not a beach what, there you go i don't know what we'd have in place of sand i Leaves in your hair or some such. Yeah, yeah. Like mosquitoes and tick bites. Always, always. Uh, I think yeah. we, we went on a vacation not too long ago and someone with us got a spider bite on her butt. So, yeah. <gasps> oh, wow. That would be terrible. That would be terrible. Well, fortunately for us, our roving reporter, Keith Hosey, went to the EPSI conference not long ago. Uh, I believe it was back in May. And so he did some interviews for us so that you and I could stay at home, queens of our castles, and not go. Thank you, Keith. Exactly. So now we're going to hear some of what Keith talked about at the EPSI conference. I'm here with our roving reporter. Porter Keith Hosey, and he's going to give us another roundup of interviews that he conducted and people he talked to at the EPSI conference. Hello, Keith. How are you? Hi, Kimberly. I'm doing well. How are you? Thanks for having uh, me. I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for doing this for us. I appreciate it so much. So tell our listeners again, what is EPSI? So EPSI is uh, the Association of Professionals for supporting employment first. Uh, that is their current acronym. When they started originally, it was the Association of Professionals in Supported Employment. Um, so it is a professional membership group for individuals who work in the field of helping people with disabilities find jobs. And that was a real, really well put and succinct way of defining supported employment, correct? Yes. Yes. Excellent. Helping people with disabilities find jobs. That's great. That's excellent. Perfect. So tell us about the first person we're going to hear from. So this interview is with Rachel Lanter, who is one of the co-directors of an agency out of 
Lexington, Kentucky, serving Central Kentucky, and that agency is called Build Inclusion, and they do supported employment and other related services for youth, young adults with disabilities. Uh, uh-huh. And, uh, and she's very well-spoken. She's very passionate about what she does, isn't she? She is absolutely. Um, and full disclosure, I, I know Rachel, um, uh, I also serve on the board of build inclusion. Um, and, uh, I, I obviously saw her at the conference and pulled her aside and said, can you be one of our interviewees? So she was one of the individuals we interviewed. Um, but she's, uh, yeah, she's really great, great at her job. And, uh, you can, you can tell she's passionate when you hear her talk. Excellent. Now, real quick, go over. She talks about person first. So can you tell us a little bit about what that means? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So perfect person first person centered services, um, is a mode of providing services to individuals. And the idea is that person is in the center of the services. So what happens is uh, the old model of delivering services to people with disabilities was that there was a professional on one side of a desk in a suit telling that person with a disability what would be best for their life in their disability. And uh, long story short, along came this thing called the independent living movement, uh, as well as disability rights movement. And it changed a little bit. And people with disabilities said, you know what, we think we might be experts in our own bodies uh, and minds and selves. And uh, we think we should have some say in what happens to us. And so uh, all of these different disability services have slowly over the years changed to this idea that maybe that person with a disability does know what they want in life uh, or what might be best for them in life. Um, so it's just a really funny way of saying something that us, those of us that have been around in the um, independent living movement uh, find as it's, it's kind of a, just secondhand, it's natural. Um, but it, it is kind of a new concept for uh, some other disability service agencies and industries. Okay. Okay, and great. New, and Kimberly, mm-hmm. I just by new, I mean, you know, not like the last three years, but, you know, last 15 years or so. Right, right, right. It's so interesting, isn't there? There was the, the, the 70s where really lots of, of social movements were taking place. And then, of course, for us, the ADA was, you know, the gold standard that happened in 1990. So, uh, yeah, new now is right about 10 to 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's, uh, listen to Keith's interview with Rachel at the APSI conference. We're here with Rachel Lanter with Build Inclusion, which is a nonprofit agency here in Lexington, Kentucky. And Rachel, I want to ask you a couple questions about supported employment and the work that you do. Sure. Um, first of all, can you explain what supported employment is to me as if I didn't know? Sure. So supported employment, in a nutshell, is how we get people jobs that really highlight their skills and strengths. Um, so you think about when you traditionally you, you go out into the workforce, you find a job that appeals to you. Um, but how do you know when a job appeals to you, right? So supported employment is how we help people understand what are their skills and what are their strengths. 
And then we help them get jobs in the community that meet not only their interests and skills, but meets the employer's needs in, in the community as well. So when you're providing supported employment, uh, so that our listeners kind of understand, are you going to meet with people in an office behind a desk, or are <laughs> you going to be, how, how does that look when you're helping someone find a job? Sure. I, I kind of chuckle because at this point I don't even have a desk because you don't need one. Um, no, no, of course not. When, when you work with someone in supported employment, you are out in the community. We, we joke all the time, we're boots on the ground. We're out in the community. Um, my favorite part of supported employment is the discovery process. Process. So that's the part in the very beginning where we're just getting to know somebody. We get to be out in the community, we go to their homes, we get to do things that they're already enjoying, um, and that's how we get to know people, right? That's how you, you that's how you would make friends, that's how you would get to know anybody. Um, so that's how we kind of uncover, it's, discovery is exactly what it sounds like. You're discovering their, their interests, their skills and strengths. We're at libraries, we're at parks, we're, you know, trying out different activities in the community, so I'm never at a desk. <laughs> Um, and then once we get through the discovery phase, once we kind of have a good idea of, of what makes somebody like unique, what's their spark, then we can use that information to help guide the job development process where we help them find a job that really kind of appeals to those interests but also highlights the strengths and skills that they have. And then once we get somebody a job, we're, we get to go to work with them and offer support to them on the job, which is also really, really neat because then we get to help facilitate them as they, they're, they're growing and they're learning and they're, they're getting all these new tasks in and we get to help see that they're set up for success from the jump and then we get to watch them grow in their job. So your job isn't done when you find someone a job. You support them on that job and help them learn their job too. Absolutely, yeah. And at Build Inclusion, we have a saying that once once we work with them, we're always going to work with them um, because we, we want to help people. We don't want to just like, you know, walk them into their first job ever and be like, okay, have fun, see you. No, we, we want to be there as a source of support for as long as we possibly can and make sure that they, from the jump, they're set up for success, but we're always going to be there to help support them in their journey. So it could be that like today I'm helping someone, you know, sign the initial paperwork that they're, they're going to be hired on. But in six months from now, I get to still be there to pop back in and say, hey, you know, how's it going? What can I help you with? How, what can I do to support you right now? Um, and then we've had people too that a couple years on the job, they're like, you know what? I would really like to move up. I'd like to find something like I, I've gained these skills. I'd like to find something else that I can put these skills to use and I want to challenge and we can help them with that too. So a lifelong. <laughs> So you mentioned being uh, out in the community yeah. with your, your clients or consumers. Um, what's the coolest job you've ever supported someone on? What's the most interesting mm -hmm. job or, or, or most interesting company you've ever visited? Oh yeah, that one's a, that's a tough one because I've been to so many different cool places with people. Um, one of my favorite stories though, I think, and it's, it's not necessarily unique or, you know, whatever, but it was a full circle moment for this person. Um, I helped someone get a job at a daycare, um, mm -hmm. and the specific daycare that, that she really was very adamant that she wanted to work at was a, a daycare that specifically helped 
kids with more like higher significant medical needs in a traditional daycare would feel comfortable serving. Um, and it was really important to her, to this, um, to this employee, give back to the community that helped raise her. And so it turned out that at one point she did go to that daycare and then she, she tells me all the time, I'm so happy here, I get to raise, help raise people's kids and show them what it looks like to work with a disability. And she's moved up the ladder and she has all these certifications now. She's got her CPR, she's got her CNA, she's got all these different things. Um, and that the daycare that she went to, now it's helping her grow in that role. And she gets to show the kids that she works with all the time, hey, this could be you. You know, you're at, you're at this daycare now, you're little, you're still learning and growing, but look at your future. This is what you, the possibilities are endless. So that's, that's for me the coolest thing, and it's not the most unique or the most interesting maybe for other people, but it's been the coolest to get to be part of her journey in that. that uh, and I would say uh, myself working in supported employment, mm -hmm. um, the most exciting thing is when someone gets that job. Yeah. Just, just uh, you know, you work with someone and you see them put in the work and, and put in the sweat and then they finally land that job nothing better in my world than mm -hmm. someone calling me to say I got the job. Yes, absolutely. Um, tell me a little bit, uh, because we all have various backgrounds, even though we're working in supported employment. Sure. Um, what is kind of, when you think about your jobs before mm -hmm. working at Build Inclusion, um, what's the most fun or coolest job you've ever had? Coolest job I've ever had? Um, I was a nanny once upon a time. Um, that's how I kind of worked my way through college and grad school before I found my way into the disability community. I was a nanny. Um, and that was a really cool experience for me because basically I got paid to hang out with these cool kiddos and hang out at the pool all day. But um, I learned a lot about different um, approaches to, to parenting and raising kids and I learned about the Montessori method for the first time. Um, and Marie Montessori, as you know, it was, had a really significant role in the disability community and disability education eons ago. And so that was kind of my first introduction was like this family was really into Montessori method and really into like, you know, digging deep and like individualized things, not just like standard education, standard parenting, you know, everything was very person-centered. And even though I come from a, a background in social work, that was really my first introduction to person-centered anything. Um, so that was a really cool and fun job for me, and it was because of the, the parents that I nannied for, they kind of encouraged me to find my way to social work because I was on a totally different trajectory before I met them. Um, and they were like, you know, we've really been thinking about you, and we've, we can tell that you're not really happy with the career choices you're about to be making, and maybe you feel pressured into that way. Or I was looking into clinical psychology, and that was a lot more clinical than I thought I wanted. Um, and so they were like, what if, what if you looked into social work? And I said, okay, I'll look into it. I fell in love with social work. And it was because of social work, my pastor's program, I had to do a practicum placement, so an internship, right? Um, and I was like, what would be the least likely thing that I would have, I had an experience with before? Like, what would be something kind of out of the blue that I have no idea, I've, I've never done anything like it before? Um, and I was like, you know, I don't have a lot of experience in the disability community and I'd like to. And I found my way to build inclusion and fell in love with the work. And it's crazy how just a, a job like helping take care of somebody's kids for the summer and lounge out at a pool can land you your dream job where you get to help other people find their dream jobs. That's great. And I, I think that's such an important story for um, 
our listeners who most of our listeners are individuals with disabilities, but right. just just that natural experience of mm -hmm. one job leading to another job to another career, and right. that um, you know, I think the statistic is now people don't just change jobs several times in their adulthood; people change careers. Yes, I think three or maybe five times in their lifetime, and so the idea of going to somewhere and working your whole life there is really an idea of the past. I was just telling somebody the other day, you know, we don't live in a society where we're expected to work in, at the same place until we retire, or if you don't have the luxury of a retirement fund, you work somewhere until you die, and that's, it's a really antiquated idea, um, and I kind of love that we've moved away from that because we're, human beings are not meant to stay stagnant, we're meant to evolve, and we're meant to be dynamic, and we're meant to change our minds. And that's, I think that's kind of a really neat platform that if, if we come from the, the background and the idea of like, you know, yes, I'm going to help you get a job today, but what if, what if you change your mind and what if you meet somebody at that job that leads you to a bigger and better thing? That's cool. That's fun. We're meant to do that. We're meant to evolve and change and you're not going to be the same person today as you will be in five years. I mean, you, you may be totally different and that's, that's fun. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. That was great. And so Keith, the next interview was with Teresa Brandenburg, and she is with the Human Development Institute at the University of Kentucky. Can you tell us a little about her and what she does? Yeah, I sure can. Um, so Teresa is uh, one of the fidelity reviewers, um, and I'll explain that in a minute, uh, for the Kentucky's individual placement and supports program, which is a type of supported employment. So Rachel talked about supported employment really in general and the IPS model here is one way of delivering that service. And it's an evidence-based model. Um, and Teresa talks a little bit about that model uh, she's very uh, smart individual, and she's been doing this work for quite a while before she worked at uh, HDI as uh, a, a fidelity reviewer. She worked for State Voc Rehab for, uh, for a number of years and retired from there. So she really has a wealth of knowledge um, and knows a lot of people around the state uh, and is just a really great person. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's listen to Keith's interview with Teresa. We're here with Teresa Brandenburg, who works for the University of Kentucky's Human Development Institute. Teresa, in her role at HDI, is an IPS supported employment trainer. And I'm going to let Teresa explain exactly what IPS is and how it works. Hi Keith, uh, thank you for having me on here. IPS stands for Individual Placement and Support and it's a specific uh, supported employment program that was developed out of Dartmouth University back in the early 2000s. Uh, and it's done all the tests and norms and things like that. And it's an evidence-based practice for people with severe and persistent mental illness and substance use disorder to help them go to work, to provide the support so that they can go to work in competitive integrated employment. So when you say that it is evidence-based, what, what exactly does that mean? 
Well, the researchers have done all the studies and it has a fidelity scale, a 25 item fidelity scale. So they, de they did all the studies to determine what's going to work the best to help pe to make people the most successful at work. Um, so they developed this 25 item fidelity scale that people adhere to and it's kind of a roadmap for implementing IPS supported employment. And there's also eight practices and principles that it goes to. One of the major ones is zero exclusion. So as long as anybody says that they want to work and they have that uh, severe and persistent mental illness or substance use disorder, they can be eligible for IPS services. Um, we, it's a team approach. So we work in partnership with the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation here in Kentucky. Um, the IPS program itself is international. There is about 24 states and four or five uh, countries such as New Zealand, Portugal, Italy, England, just to name a few. I know it's those four uh, for sure. So it is international. It's not just located here in the United States. So it's normed kind of all over the world. Uh, and it's helped uh, lots of people go to work. There's about a 43% success rate across, across the international for IPS. And that's one of the highest success rates uh, for people working with disabilities to go, for people with disabilities going to work. So I wanna ask you about, you mentioned zero exclusion as part of the IPS model. And I love that aspect of it because basically it says, we're gonna assume someone is able to go to work. And in, in so many aspects, and a lot of our listeners are individuals with disabilities, so many aspects in our society, uh, people with disabilities run up against barriers. And what this practice is saying is that we're going to assume that you can work and we're going to help you find that job. That's right. No matter, it doesn't matter if somebody said you're not work ready, you have a history of, of incarceration, you maybe have a history, a history of violence in the past, if you uh, are still actively using substances, you may, not be, you may not be attending therapy or not even be medication compliant, no matter what, it's zero exclusion. If you say you want to work, this program will work with you. And, and Teresa, you also mentioned uh, individuals, th this practice, uh, all of the data shows that it works really well for individuals with severe and persistent mental illness. And for our listeners, um, I, I just want to kind of explain that those are uh, individuals who fall under that category are individuals who may have active psychosis. They may have a diagnosis of schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, bipolar disorder, um, uh, major, major depression. depression. So uh, the employment rates for individuals in this category uh, traditionally are very low. Um, individuals and, and oftentimes individuals are not accessing the systems that can help them. Um, but you're here saying that this, this system that an agency could come and pick up to serve these people is getting a 40-something percent success rate, which is phenomenal. I am saying that, and it is phenomenal. And I have a background in vocational rehabilitation. Uh, I worked in that field with a public VR system in Kentucky for 27 years. Prior to that, I did I worked for at a substance use uh, facility. And of all the programs that I've ever worked with, 
this is the best. It's been the most supportive and the most successful in it. And so I think the, um, what my takeaway is from this really is that uh, there are a lot of individuals out there who might have those diagnoses and have tried to work and have not been successful and have been discouraged that there is a, there is a program out there for you and you can access it uh, in, in any state um, and, and, and you can, there can be success and, and you can find a job and a career and, uh, and live in that, that recovery model. That's correct. We have, we train, we train people. I'm one of the trainers for the state and we work with our, the different providers that we have in order to help them provide quality services so that people with, that have experienced maybe job loss and are not, not being employed in the past because of their uh, mental illness or substance use disorder, that they can go to work and be successful. We'll, we, we look at, you know, even a job loss, we do not look at that as a negative thing. That's kind of a positive thing because we can look at what works, what didn't work, and what worked in that job, and then that gives us kind of more of a focus to go down that we're going to look at what worked with it. So we'll move that on to the next job. And to me, that makes so much sense um, as someone who's worked in supported employment for so many years that, sure, it stinks to lose a job if you're fired or uh, maybe even if you quit because you feel like it didn't fit right for you. Um, but, but that looking on the bright side of what did I learn from this? Right. What can I bring into my next job? Maybe I know for sure I don't want to work in the food industry anymore. Uh, maybe I, I want to try an office job now and see if that works for me. So this, um, this idea that, that we're constantly learning, and, and I, I'm a lifelong learner and I love that, um, it, just, it just makes so much sense to me that uh, that would be an aspect of of all, for all of that's a great lesson for all of us. We can all take that away. Right, and I think we all do. You know, we've we none of us have stayed in the same job that we started out in. You know, we've progressed over the years. And people with disabilities, they need to be able to progress too. They should be able to progress just like us. And that's one thing that this program does. You may start out in a certain job, but as you grow, that employment specialist can help you change careers if you decide to, you may work in one thing and think, oh no, I don't really like this, but I really have an interest in this. They can help you explore that and move on to a different career or move on up in the career that you've chosen. I think one of the things, one of my favorite things about uh, IPS supported employment is that um, something that I learned early on in, in my career in disability rights um, is that Oftentimes, people with disabilities are uh, handled with what some say kid gloves, right? Right. We, we, want, we don't want to, you know, I've, I've heard people say we want to make sure our participants are safe um, and things like that. But to me, having the right to fail, and those aren't my words, those, those come out of the independent living movement, but the right to fail is a right as well. Right. So to get out there and to get into a real job and to try it out and to learn a lesson even if you fail on that job as a person with a disability, you have a right to fail as well and mm -hmm. learn and move on and get a new career. Right, just like every, anybody else. You know, everybody, everybody, nobody's gonna always be successful. There's always gonna be failures and we learn from those failures. And then we, we can pick ourselves up, we learn from those and move on 
and do bigger and better things. And people with disabilities can do the same thing. So Keith, in the interview, Teresa talks about a fidelity scale. So can you tell us a little about what that means? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so fidelity in this context uh, has to do with treatment and or research. And all it really means is adhering as much as you can to the parameters and the model so that you can get similar outcomes. Um, so just as fidelity means uh, in a marriage means staying true to your partner, fidelity in uh, treatment means staying true to that evidence-based model. So um, in the, in the context of Teresa's interview, we're talking about an actual scale that measures that. So you can look at it and say, how close are we practicing this evidence-based practice? Um, what can we improve and do better? Because the, the better we do in this prescribed practice, the better our outcomes are. Uh, I see. I see. I understand. So thanks. That was that was very helpful for a term that I personally was having a little trouble wrapping my mind around. So thanks for that. Um, and, and that that's uh, fidelity that all of these different uh, areas around the state who are practicing this kind of evidence based approach. It's how how faithful they're being to the model. Correct. That's correct. Yes. Excellent. All right. Thanks, Keith. And thanks for all your great work. And of course, we can't end a segment without, um, I know you've got some interesting updates coming out with uh, on with ADAPT. So give us a little, um, a little tease about what's coming up for Kentucky with ADAPT. I do. Uh, so we are moving forward with starting a chapter of ADAPT in Kentucky. Uh, there is going to be an initial training uh, it's being planned right now. If people are interested in being trained uh, or being some sort of part of this ADAPT movement, uh, they can email adaptky at gmail.com. That's A-D-A-P-T-K-Y at gmail.com. And, um, and they can get involved in, in the, this grassroots movement. I love the email uh, chain that's already going through. I love how it says um, that it will be training the people who will train others and that it is not required that you get arrested. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, you know, I think uh, ADAPT sometimes gets a bad rap um, because what we see in the media often is, is that last step in their advocacy efforts. We don't see the months uh, that they spend uh, talking to elected officials and uh, engaging with elected officials, um, calling and meeting and all and the the theatrics that they do uh, um, that it, it is uh, the direct actions, the nonviolent direct actions um, is is a last resort. Um, but it, it it should be an option out there. So, you know. As, as a parent, nothing would make me prouder than for my kids to have to come with my husband to bail me out of jail because I got arrested for protesting on behalf of mine or someone else's civil rights. 
I know that uh, I, I, I'd be lying if if I if I said that I did not have the same thoughts. Um, you know, I and I, so many people I've talked to while trying to get this kind of uh, up and alive is so many people have the same like, man, that's on really on my bucket list to be arrested. exactly. I want to be, you know, arrested in an adapt direct action. Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, but for some of us, uh, job security may depend on not that happening. So um, there's certainly a seat at the table for anyone who's interested in advocating for the full and inclusive rights of people with disabilities. Absolutely. We're just just adapt KY. I'm telling you, that's where all the cool kids are going to be. So anyone is disabled or just a disabled ally, an ally to the disability community, sign up and and let's get some things going. It's and so. me. It's all the cool kids and me. I'll be there. <laughs> Thanks so much, Keith. Thanks for all your great work. We appreciate it. Thanks, Kimberly. If you like the podcast, remember to follow or subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you really like the podcast, we'd love it if you could leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. That helps more people to find us. If you really, really like the podcast, then please tell someone about it, either in person or send them an email or just share the link on social media. Thank you all. Every bit helps and it makes a huge difference for us. If you'd like a transcript, please send us an email to demandanddisrupt at gmail.com and put transcript in the subject line. Thanks to Steve Moore for helping us out with transcripts. Thanks to Chris Unkin for our theme music. Demand and Disrupt is a publication of the Advocado Press with generous support from the Center for Accessible Living located in Louisville, Kentucky. And you can find links to buy the book, A Celebration of Family, Stories of Parents with Disabilities in our show notes. Thanks everyone. Just for once I think I would agree We both know there's a difference We've had our curtain call This time the writing's on the wall
Spells out.